The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Welcome back. Merry Christmas. Several people have reminded me that it is actually Advent season, not Christmas season yet. But you know what? Same, same. Same Jesus. So... We're just going to say (laughs) Merry Christmas. Today we are starting our Advent readings. Uh, We are a week behind, so if you start judging Jake because he lights two candles instead of one, um, you can blame that on me. It just, November 27th seemed early, uh, so it caught us by surprise, but we've made made up for it with beautiful wreaths, and uh, we are two weeks now into our our Advent series. Uh, Advent is something that is not unique to the Refuge Church. It's one of the, the fun liturgical practices that the church for thousands of years has been doing. And we, we uh, are joining with the Church of Jesus, millions and millions of people around the world that, that are anticipating in this uh, the coming of Jesus. He's coming again, but remembering those who... Like we wait for the second coming of Jesus, there were people for thousands of years that waited for him to show up, not knowing what form he would take. There was prophecies, um, but they waited for Messiah, God himself who would come to save the world. And that, that literally is what Advent means is coming. Jesus is coming. And so as we look back and see people who anticipated that God himself would come to save the world Uh, In the same way, we now look forward to to God coming again to rescue and restore us completely. So uh, this is the beginning of those. We have four readings. Jake and Sydney are going to do our first this week. The Old Testament is full of promises that point us towards the Messiah He is the child who would one day be born in Bethlehem. He is the Lord who will come again in glory. This week, we reflect on Isaiah's prophecies about Christ, his first coming, and his future reign. The people walking in the darkness have seen seen a great light. On those who living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah 9-2. As we light the first candle this morning, let us take time to remember all the ways Jesus is the true light for this dark world. Instead of prayer of confession today, um, I want us to spend some time with that, that final thought, how Jesus is a light for this dark world. Uh, take some time just yourself to reflect how Jesus is a light for the darkness in the world as a whole. It could be something you're wrestling with. 
in global or local news or something that uh, even in your own life feels like darkness. And just reflect on how Jesus, the wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, Almighty God, how Jesus, the light of the world, can shine into that darkness. So take some time to think about that and then we'll pray to start. God, we know that you are light and in you there's no darkness. We know that because you, you've told us that. Um, like the song said, the sun can't even compare to the glory of your love, God, that you are holy, you are pure, you are true. And yet you've made a way in Jesus, the light of the world, for us to be purified, for us to be forgiven, for us to not be chased away by your light, but to be cleansed and forgiven and brought into perfect relationship with you. Your light doesn't need to be something scary to us, but because what you've declared in Jesus, the Messiah, the light of the world, because he came to seek and save us, came to seek and save the lost, that your light can be something we enjoy, something we look forward to, something that makes us anticipate eternity, a place where there will be no darkness, no need for sun, because it's your dwelling place. God, we, we pray now to be um, radiant image bearers, God. The word we hear today help us shine brighter because we hear it and believe it. We pray that in Jesus' name, Amen. Our Advent sermon series this year is the reason for the season, and uh, what we mean by that, and what we're going to try to capture is in the stories of different people who are part of the Christmas story, the story of Jesus being born, that when God came and communicated to them, he did it each in a different way. If I were to send all of you a Christmas card, you're going to get a generic one, right? I'm not going to sit down and write long form like all the sweet things I think about you. You're going to get a card and you're going to get you know, consistent thoughts. Just print it out. Jesus or God the Father came, or speaking through Gabriel and speaking as we see in the Wiseman through a star, each person we see here, Zechariah last week, the Magi this week, Joseph and Mary, he came and spoke in a way that they could hear, in a way they understood, and some addressing their doubts, some addressing their fears, some like Zechariah, 
dreams and prayers that they'd prayed years ago, that's the way he came and spoke to Zechariah. Hey, your prayer's been answered. It's not, hey, Jesus is coming. It's, hey, your prayer's been answered. And guess what? That fits into the big story of God. So I'm just excited uh, for us to, to look at how Jesus knows how to communicate directly to each of us personally and invite us into his big story. That's the reason for this season is the reason he gave each of them to show Jesus was coming, but show how their little stories fit into his big story. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So our intro is this. The story of Christmas is the same each year, but we hear it in a new way. We have been changed by a year of hopes, dreams, fears, and failures. The story of Jesus finds us in that new place. Salvation comes personally. God speaking our language and sharing our spaces. In this series, we will see how God communicated personally with each person inviting them into the Christmas story. We hope that you will hear his personal invitation to salvation again this year. Who invited these guys? That's what I think when I hear the story of the Magi coming. Who, whose idea was it to invite these? Well, they brought pretty good gifts, if you think about it. But really, in the scope of the story of Jesus' coming, it does not seem like they belong. <clears throat> now, to illustrate this, I think of um, ways growing up, we kind of ran with a crowd, my family did, that didn't seem to really fit anywhere. I love telling the story of Refuge Church, Coffee Oasis, in those early years, late 90s, actually early 90s, even before Coffee Oasis existed, it was really our home that was the epicenter for, for people finding a place of belonging. People who didn't have anywhere else to go, they would somehow, because someone told them and they would call us or just maybe show up knocking at our door, they would, they would come over. And now even when I speak at a Rotary or somewhere else, I always say that the shelter didn't begin here. The shelter really was first our home. We didn't start inviting people in and sharing meals with them here. It really started in a home, and then it became something more that could be shared, you know, far beyond what one single home could do. But the people coming to our home and finding a place where they belong didn't always find belonging in the places we would take them. I remember we would invite him to the church my dad pastored at the time, and that's actually one of the reasons why he ended up resigning and starting Coffee Oasis is because the people who were gathering around our table and loved talking about Jesus, when they came to church, they just didn't really fit, and people let us know that they really just didn't fit in that church setting. We would even bring them, when we went to holidays, we'd bring them with us, people that had made their home with us, right? bring them with us along Thanksgiving, Easter, Christmas. And um, we remember, I remember finding out later that, that there were some invitations that never came our way because they knew who would get brought with us because they didn't belong there. And that, that sounds crazy. I mean, I, I, I can see your expression. It sounds crazy, but it was what? It was uncomfortable. They didn't know the etiquette. They didn't know how to behave, right? They didn't know how to talk the right way. And, and because of that, literally, people would say, who invited 
these people? And it's the same question we ask of the wise men or the magi. We're going to say wise men. It's kind of the way we start talking about them. It it really is kind of a made-up term later, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, when When we see the magi or the wise men, we really should be asking who invited these guys. And let me illustrate this by showing a couple pictures. If you look at classic ways that the magi were portrayed, there's typically three of them because of the three gifts, but we don't know how many there were. Notice that they're of different nationalities. Always one or two have darker skin, uh, signifying that they were from the East or Far East. And they were not Jewish. These were people that didn't seem to fit in the foretold story of the coming Messiah. Again, we, we portray three of them, but the guess is that there would probably be a caravan of about 100 people that descended on Jerusalem, and that's why it created this huge stir in the city. These people from the east had come for what reason? Well, they came to learn about the king of the Jews. Not their king, but the king of the Jews. So here's some helpful background about these magi. The Magi were known to be wise and powerful men, people that rolled deep, right? If you come in with 100 people representing with golden frankincense and myrrh, you're powerful. They likely had been raised in elite and wealthy homes, and from childhood they were accustomed to the best that money could buy. Magi was a vocation available to them because of their privileged birth, and they were accustomed to the finer things of life. But just because they were accustomed to the finer things of life does not mean that their lives were free of hurt and hardship. Like the young Magi in the book of Daniel, we can assume these men were taken as spoils of war. They were born to privilege but witnessed the destruction of their home, the death of their families, And now they served, even with their power and prestige, they served as royal slaves to the conquering king. When they came of age, they were trained in mathematics, astronomy, medicine, astrology, alchemy, dream interpretation, history, and magic. Upon completion of their training, they would become advisors to the king. But as we learn in the story of Daniel, if they didn't give good advice, they would be put to death. They have power, they have prestige, but they still are slaves. Now, if the description of magician, enchanters, and sorcerers makes you think of Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, um, that's not completely inaccurate. I mean, it was this time where they were trying to harness the supernatural in whatever means they had available to them, but it wasn't without this honoring and trying to understand the sciences, trying to understand, you know, when we have our periodic table and we do chemistry, like they were trying to figure that out. When they looked at the stars, they were trying to understand movements of the world and how it impacted them, right? A lot of the science we have started from the Magi, right? These wise men of Persia who were trying to understand how the great God... Whoever that was, they were, they were gathering literally from all the ships that would come in or all the kingdoms that would be conquered. and all the, They would try to gather all that and try to find wisdom, would try to find truth, would try to find who is right because they wanted to know 
what truth was. So they were true seekers. And in their seeking, as we see our story leading us today, they ultimately find truth. They ultimately are led to Jesus. But that's us getting ahead of ourselves, right? We're not there yet. We're still at the place of who invited these guys to the Christmas party. Well, the big idea, just to answer that for you before we get into the questions, is because I, I always want to give you kind of bef- before, during, and at the end something that you can hold on to. And it really is this. God's invitation to these wise men is an invitation for you, me, all of us to see and believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Because if the Magi are invited... What that means is you and I can also be invited. And if you, don't, if you don't think this is a main plot of scripture, if you think it's just a subplot of the story, if you look at the book of Matthew, do you know how many verses are given to Mary and Joseph's understanding the story of Jesus' coming or understanding Jesus' coming? Eight verses. How many are given to the Magi? Twelve verses. It's a big part of the story, right? It's like, this is what Gabriel said to Mary and Joseph together, and then this build-out of this huge story about these outsiders getting invited. And so this is not a small part. This is a big part of what it meant for Jesus to come. Instead of telling you the story, let's just read it. Matthew 2, 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem in Judea, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And just a side note here, this is really amazing to see because they have come 800 miles and they don't have the answer to this question. This is what they're going off of. <laughs> we saw a star. We're here to worship the king of the Jews. And when they get there, they're trying to figure out what this all means fully, right? And so the chief priests, teachers, all people who should have understood, people who probably should have already been worshiping Jesus, um, are explaining this to these men who are coming seeking truth. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from, the exact, from them the exact time of the star that it appeared He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, bowed down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Fascinating story. These outsiders finding their way to Jesus. 
So who invited these guys? The question makes two assumptions. And it's a good question. I'm not just baiting here. It's a great question. Who invited these outsiders to be the ones to understand and identify the Savior of the world? There's two assumptions here. The first is that there are people we expect God to invite. (laughs) There are people we expect to be invited to the party because of the way they look. They look like us. They sound like us. They have their stuff together like us. They maybe don't have needs. They're not needy. It's hard to be around needy people. They're nice. They don't really need the Holy Spirit to have the fruit of the Spirit. They're just great people. They fit. There's an assumption, right? Oh, of course they were invited. I love that person, right? I get along with that person. I'm familiar with that person. Those are the people we invite. And the assumption is then that there are people we do not invite to the party because we're not like them. They're different than us. Their life is a mess. They're needy. They don't look right or say the right things. We assume that there are those that do not belong here. The story of Jesus flips that script on its head. And and this is so helpful, so informative for us today. Our our world, not just our nation, our world is full of us and them divisions. They don't belong here. I can't even be seen with them or people will think this about me. And you know what they thought of Jesus? He hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. When people, not just when Jesus was doing his ministry, but all the way back to when he was a baby, people were saying, why are those people around Jesus? Matthew 9, it just describes it perfectly. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, a tax collector, tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it is the sick. Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Those are the people that belong with Jesus. The unhealthy, the sinners. Who invited those people? Jesus. Jesus invites these people. God is inviting these people. I probably could just honestly end. There's probably enough conviction for me just to end right now. I'm not. But... Man, think of the people we assume should be here or we spend time with, be seen with, we talk to. I will, I will tell you, the primary conversation I have with pastors about the work we do at Coffee Oasis is why do those kids go to Coffee Oasis? Because we want them here. That is my answer. Because Jesus wants them here. But it is uncomfortable that they come. And that's okay. But you know, literally, I get every, e- every week an email or a call saying, why do they come? Well, be- because we invite. We invite everybody to come. 
It doesn't mean it's not uncomfortable for me. It's not, it doesn't mean it's easy for me when someone comes and they're just vastly different than me to engage in conversation. That's hard for me. But each time I have that conversation or I respond to that email, it confirms this. I think Jesus would want to spend time with them, even if the assumption is he spends time with that person. What does that mean about him? Well, hopefully that means that they're still faithful, but they want to be like Jesus. Amen? It's okay to say amen to that. You're not going to get dirty saying amen to that, okay? (laughs) It's good. We can be faithful and still invite people into relationship with us that are vastly different than us. We can love them because that is the story of the Magi. Come 800 miles and celebrate the birth of my son. That's the story of the Magi. God's inviting them. How are they invited? They're invited in a way that they understand. It is a star. The journey of the Magi begins with an astronomical discovery. One star in heaven communicated to them a clear message, and that was, the king of the Jews will be born. Have you looked at the stars on a cloudless night? Imagine night after night trying to take in all that they have. The Magi paired the science of the stars with their growing knowledge of mathematics, their study of religious texts from around the world. And as... They gathered more and more and more, but hungered for truth. They sought truth. Somehow, God showed them truth this way. We do not know. I wish we had more understanding. There are assumptions we can make, and I shared a lot of these last year, actually. I I spoke about the magic last year. Some of the assumptions that I think are safe in making are that there was a a, a faithful group from the time that the prophet Daniel was a magi, uh, and and he, he probably shared about the king of the Jews. He probably shared about the Old Testament, you know, what they had, and and there was probably a faithful group there who who kept learning that text, kept walking in that way. I think that's probably a safe assumption. We also have the possibility of Jewish merchants who were coming to trade, who were speaking, the Magi curious people were wanting to know more and more. They'd probably go down and interact with them. Hey, tell me about where you come from and the way you think. And that's possibly the way that, that news about a king of the Jews would come. Or lastly, and I think this also is extremely likely in the way they learned about not going back to Herod was in a dream. It says they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. These were people who were sensitive to the way of God. They, they weren't raised with this, probably, but they sought truth, and God met them and invited them in some way. God still shows up and speaks in dreams and visions. There's, there's incredible stories about people who had no access to a Bible that, that Jesus showed up and invited them to himself, right? We believe that's possible. God can do that. God doesn't fit in our little box, Right? invited them into worship of his son, Jesus. God, and this is the big, how, how, were they, how were they invited? This is the big thing. God met these men where they were, and he spoke in a language that they understood. 
And it was so clear, it was so irrefutable to them that it compelled them to travel 800 miles with 100 people or so. Without cars. Yeah, no, this is, this is, we're talking months here. We're talking a long journey. The king of the Jews was inviting them to come and worship, for them to come and worship. It's amazing. However God communicated, it was communicated so clearly. So clearly that even when they saw the smugness, probably, of the chief priests and the Pharisees, when Herod mockingly, deceivingly said, I also want to worship him, they just kept thinking about that clear communication that God had given them. It's incredible. So the last question is simply this, why were they invited? And the answer really has been clear since the beginning. If, If we read the Bible, going all the way back to God's promise to Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. All the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And Rue read some of these passages. It's beautiful. I mean, crack open your Bibles and you read things like, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Herds of camel will cover your land. Camels of Midian, Ephah. Sheba, they will come bearing gold and incense, proclaiming the praise of the Lord. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and rise up, princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. They've been invited, and I, I love that song we sang, come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn king. That, that is this invitation, hidden in the stars, revealed to them in some way, drawing them 800 miles to be outsiders invited in, one of the few that recognize Jesus for who he is. One of the ways that we are described, those who say we have seen, understand and believe who God is, one of the ways we are described in Philippians as, as, as stars that shine in the sky. It says, just as God, this is in 2 Corinthians, just as God said, light, let light shine out of darkness, he has made his light shine in our hearts. So in a way, I think that we are meant to be stars inviting honest seekers to Jesus. People who maybe don't feel like they belong in a church. Maybe if they walked in, all of us would be like, "Mm, okay, right? I love it when I sit in a prayer time with people and you have someone who, who doesn't yet know how to, you know, they, they, this is what they say. I don't really know how to pray. I'm not, I'm like, speak, right? We've created so many limitations around God that God's going, man, he's probably inviting people 800 miles away right now that you and I sitting here have some stiffness and some hardness of heart that keeps us from seeing Jesus. Maybe there's people who just are longing for his presence. I haven't heard him yet. Who have the sensitivity to seek him and travel a long way. I think about this a lot. Um, this is maybe 
being too honest as a pastor, but there's times where I'm so tired and I'm so familiar with everything, like the Christmas story I'm familiar with, the Bible, so familiar with this. I wondered, and it actually happened yesterday, I was wondering, thinking of this story, if someone came that maybe has been hard in my life and they were so excited about Jesus, would I meet their excitement? Or would I be like, old news, I've known that for like so long. (laughs) You know? Because that is what happened. 800 miles, these people were coming. They were so excited. They showed up in Jerusalem and the chief was like, yeah, why don't you just read your Bible? He's in Bethlehem, right? (laughs) And they just sent him on their way. And you know what happened? These people who had had the the story, they had the truth, missed out. Because they weren't earnestly seeking still. There's a promise in Scripture that so beautiful. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, wherever you are in the world, that's what this is saying. If you seek God, you'll find him. If you seek him with all your heart, and God can show up in ways that blow you away, that don't fit in your rigid statements of faith, probably even. I'm not, I'm not saying, there's, there's truth, I'm not saying, I'm just saying there is an incredible way Jesus showed up to, God showed up to these men in such a way that they came and they didn't even, know, they were like, man, just, I just know there's a king of the Jews. That doesn't fit into a lot of the ways we work. And so we, man, I think we have really, really limited God in our lives and the way he can work in the world because we have just found a shallow contentment in our own knowing him. And so this is what I challenge to you is seek him with all your heart. Seek him with all your heart and and God will show you maybe even this Christmas in, in such a bold new way. Invite you maybe in because you and I are, are, are Gentiles. You and I really shouldn't be a part of this thing. But according to this, we're invited in. According to this, we have a place around the manger. According to this, we can worship Jesus. And that's such good news. So, so seek him. Seek him with all your heart. And, and ask that he would show you himself in a new way. To invite you into that. <clears throat> I always also want to assume that some of you here are just psyched about Jesus, right? I don't want to always be like, preachers like, and y'all suck, and you need to love Jesus. No, there's probably some of you that are like, really, man, are really excited about him. And my challenge to you is, who are you guiding by the light God has given you? Who are you guiding to the manger this year? That your light shines like a star's in you. Are you speaking their language Or are you just speaking an insider language that no one outside the church, no one outside being familiar with Jesus can understand? If you have his light, if you've sought him out and you love him, if you fiercely love Jesus, then are you living in such a way that outsiders are being drawn to the manger, are being drawn to Jesus, are saying that he is the light of the whole world. He's the light of the world. He's the savior of the whole world. That is the incredible, incredible story of Christmas. So, 
To conclude, the story of the Magi is an enduring, powerful reminder that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. While souls in Jerusalem slept in their privileged understanding of God's promises, a group of wise men from the east were awake and searching the stars for signs of hope. If you have felt far away or that you don't have the right words to understand, be encouraged by this story. God shows himself to those who relentlessly seek him. Seek him. There are many reasons to doubt and give up along the way. But don't let go of this message. Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. The one who believes and follows hard after God will arrive at the place where faith does become sight. Where we see it is God in the manger. The wise men saw a simple home with a mother and a newborn child. And in that, they were able to see that God does fulfill his promises, that God does speak. Do you see that too this year? Pray with me. God, I think a lot of us um, miss you because we try to fit in. God, I pray that we'll be drawn to Jesus again. We'll be blown away that God does speak and his words are true and those who earnestly seek will find. God, you've made us for that, to just be, be people who are on that grand adventure like the Magi, grand adventure of following your direction, following your communication, learning to ask the questions and learning to ultimately worship. God, I pray that um, for us who have found, for us who worship Jesus, that uh, we won't just go about trying to fit in with a group of people we're familiar with, but we will be people who invite others who feel far away to come and see Jesus and to worship him. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, we are going to worship in two ways, uh, both through singing together and through taking communion. And um, while we do that, you also can uh, be prayed for by Ibrahim over there. In taking communion, um, all are invited to come to Jesus by faith. Um, communion is that declaration of faith. Every time we do it, we remember that Jesus gave his own life for us. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. So if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, if you still feel like you're on that journey, not sure of it, we invite you just to, to think about the sermon today. If you have put your faith in Jesus, we invite you to come up and take, take the elements remembering who Jesus is for us. Amen.